Good afternoon, Mavericks. We are back again, and today I am very excited. We are going to speak with Charles Turner, the CEO of CARE, with a K. But real quick, before I want, before we dive in, I want to talk about our show, who's being powered by Serenity. Again, Serenity is making a pledge to help long-term care facilities stay connected during this corona pandemic. Their goal is to work with 50 Colorado-based senior living communities, giving them their HIPAA-compliant messaging and photo app for free for the next three months. So check out the links below. Learn more about Serenity Engage and how it can help your community stay connected during the corona pandemic. And with that, I'm going to bring in Catherine Wells, our Chief Inspiration Maverick. So Kathy, take it over. Thanks, Francis, our Chief Curiosity Maverick, and also the man behind the curtain who, who runs these shows right now. So thank you for that. Um, so really happy to be here. And uh, Francis and I have been doing Facebook Lives now. I think this might be our third or fourth or fifth around the COVID-19. We're excited to be talking with Charles Turner today. We spoke with Charles uh, maybe three weeks ago in Boston at the Senior Transformation Summit before all this COVID-19 uh, broke out. And when we spoke with Charles and we released his podcast earlier this week, we talked about the CARE model. So Charles, why don't you give our audience here a, a brief background on you and on CARE with the K? Yeah. So... I'll try to make it brief. So my background is, uh, I, you know, I was a developer, op, developer and operator uh, and owner of uh, assisted living memory care buildings kind of all over Texas, Florida, Georgia, and New Mexico. Uh, you know, prior to that, I was in the technology space, having nothing to do with this industry whatsoever. I uh, stumbled into uh, real estate development and senior housing decade, decade ago, 12 years ago or so. And then we had our own operating company. Um, and because of my background, I would invest and advise in anywhere from small small companies to Fortune 500 companies on sort of the intersection of aging and technology. Um, and then, I, you know, I decided, I think, you know, we said on the podcast, they're, they're the, the, the two major challenges facing senior housing operators today, if you ask any you know CEO, they're usually the two of the top three things are one, the overbuilding problem and, and two, labor. And so, you know, we're I decided I'd help solve the overbuilding uh, problem, but you know I don't think the world needs another 86 unit uh, assisted living and memory care, or at least in most areas. And two, uh, we built a, a labor app called Care. It's Care at the K. Website is you know, doyoucare.com and Care at the K. But think of it like an Uber-like platform for mm -hmm. caregivers and med techs and nurses to fill open shifts uh, at a price that is far less than agency and overtime. And then at the end of the day, if you like people that come in and work for you based on our platform, uh, you can hire them at no charge. So it's uh, it's it's a great way to, to to expedite your hiring process. It's a great way to save a lot of money. And then, of course, now we've taken on a whole new dimension of sort of on-demand labor as, um, as, as the labor force has become, let's just say it's been pretty wonky, right, over the past uh, you know, couple of weeks. And I think, well, let's just be honest, over the next several weeks, it's probably going to get worse. Um, we have been bringing on a lot of customers, uh, sort of contingency labor when and if they, they, they need everything. So, you know, we, we launched the product at the end of October. Uh, we are live now in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, in Austin, and then several tertiary markets around Texas, like, you know, Beaumont, San Marcos, uh, you know, Bryan College Station, things like that. And then we'll be launching in Atlanta here in about a month. Uh, and we'll be hitting like three major markets every about every quarter is our plan right now. 
Wow. That's great. And and what you're doing to serve the market is really, really needed and even more so right now in the face of COVID-19. So, yeah, it is. Yeah. And um, and so we're waiting for you to come here to Colorado as we. Yeah, that's like, like I think I said, it's probably 20. We're, it's definitely on the roadmap. Maybe it's, we have a lot of customers who really need us to get there. So we're yeah. um, we're, we're excited to be there. Yeah, yeah. I think we're excited for, the, for you guys to get here, too, because we have, you know, uh, we've had our population has really started to change. We're definitely having more older adults that, you know, we're having more facilities that are built throughout the state. Cause we're not, a, you know, we're a big, we're not, we have about 5 million totally in the state. And yet I feel like we don't have enough labor at all right now to support those that are aging. So we are very excited that uh, you're going to be coming here. Yeah. yeah. So when somebody we can actually, we've talked about labor dynamics before watch the previous podcast, but we talked a lot about, you know, the, the problems with that. We can talk about that another day, but yeah, I think the, generally speaking, the problem's going to get worse before it gets better. Yes, sir. So today, Charles, we wanted yeah. to talk with you because you recently did a survey of 150 caregivers about how they feel about COVID-19. So tell us some of tell us about the survey and how you went about it, who you spoke with, and what some of the results were. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, so it was something we did for ourselves. Um, we started like about a, about a week ago. We we did this, so we have uh, several hundred people that work on our platform, and and you know we like everybody else are trying to figure out you know let's let's forecast our own business. What does that business look like? Um, and do we need to be afraid? Uh, do we? You know, is there going to be a major disruption in our business? And so we asked, you know, it had to be very kind of quick and easy, down and dirty uh, survey. So we just asked, asked four questions, which we'll share in a little bit. Um, and, and then once we got the, the results back, we realized, you know, there's a lot of information just in these four questions that I think will be beneficial, um, you know, for our industry. So, you know, I, I've also I, part of a lot of different industry initiatives, not just labor, but do, we talk to a lot of folks and everybody's very worried about, you know, supplies right now, like PPE and personal protective equipment, which we should. We, we'll talk about that as well. But and. And everybody's talking about what, what should our plans be? What should our policies and procedures be? What should, you know, what is CDC saying? And again, we definitely should be doing that. But I, I, I haven't heard a lot of chatter about what, you know, frankly, what are the frontline caregivers, nurses and, and caregivers think? I mean, let, let's let's talk to them. Let's ask them. So we asked them, uh, I'll, I'll share this here in a second. Okay, I got to remember how to do that. Okay, I'm going to, uh, yep, sharing the screen. And then uh, let me make sure y'all can, I'm going to blow this up. All right. Can y'all see it? Yeah. Right. And, and the first one, uh, we're just asking straight up, like, how, what are you feeling about the, the coronavirus? Are you are you afraid or are you not? And the good news is when you look at it, um, it the, the vast majority of them are. Yeah, they're, I think they're, they're concerned, but everyone's taking proper precautions. I mean, I would say the results of this, if you look at the people that are on this, probably, you know, 80%, maybe 85, 90% are frontline caregivers. I'm talking like CNAs, care aides, and about 10 to 50% of them are nurses. Uh, we haven't gone back and, and these, it, was a, it was a blind survey, so we don't exactly know who, um, who uh, you know, what our, what our population mix was, but that, that's generally reflective of our population mix. And so we got about 150 50 results back, and this is what they said. So the vast majority said, yeah, they're, they're concerned or and they're taking proper precautions. Um, so th from that standpoint, great. You know, you don't have a lot of fear from your, your, um, your labor force. And then the second, like, okay, how do they feel about the facilities that they're working you know, in? 
frankly, this is, we wanted to know if, if, if they were going to environments where they didn't feel safe. The good news is, again, I think the vast majority of them felt like the facilities are going to, are prepared for the residents. I'm mean, a good portion. About a third of them did say like, yeah, they're, they're doing everything they can, but frankly, we're a little cynical. We don't think it's going to do any good, but it sounds like everybody's, you know, putting their best foot forward to do the best they can. Then the next two questions um, were really about them and how they feel about their safety uh, and their personal situation. So we asked them, you know, do you feel you're going to get it? Or are you, you um, are you not going to be able to work because of the coronavirus? Again, I, I, the vast majority of them said, you know, that they're concerned, but it really won't change their ability to pick up shifts. The other thing I thought was fascinating, which is very positive, the last one here, you know, said not only are they not, you know, they may be concerned, but they're going to uh, want to pick up more shifts. And I think, you know, as we talked about in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, the people who work in our industry, you know, it's a tough job, right? It's, there's, there's not a lot of glamour in it. Uh, there's not a lot of thanks in it, but they're still very missional. And what I really appreciate about this question is, you know, they're still very missional about it. They're going to actually want to pick up more shifts to help out uh, our caring community. So that's what I love. Now, this last question I thought was interesting, right? And so let's just, we can talk about, you know, some macro factors with this. And the question is, you know, when business and schools, you know, daycare, things like that, if they're shutting down, is it basically going to affect your ability to work? Now, we ask this for our benefit with our you know, our heroes. Everybody in our platform is called a hero. But we ask well, when our, our heroes are going to be able to pick up shifts. But this also, I think, can be applied to any any of our caring communities. And so the the good, again, the vast majority, 70% of them said it really won't have my any ability to pick up shifts. But there were, you know, call it a third of them, that it will at least affect them somewhat, if not completely. You know, they have a kid at home. They've got a loved one at home. The normal daycare or, or school can't take care of them. I've got to take take care of my uh, my loved one. And other, whatever, you know, there's a bunch of reasons. Like my car broke down, but I can't get it fixed, right? We actually had that situation two days ago. Car broke down, they can't get it fixed because the mechanics that she goes to is normally, they're, they're, they're shut down. So, you know, these kind of things happen. So you take, you know, a third of these of these folks that their ability to pick up a shift or ability to work is, is at least somewhat inhibited, you know, extrapolate that over the millions and millions and millions of units of, of you know, skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. And you start to realize the scope of the problem where, I don't know, 10 to 20 percent of your workforce may be impacted in, in, in coming to work. Now, this is, you know, this was this data is almost a week old now. So this is sort of the front end of that. The, the ramp up, I, it would be interesting if we did this now or maybe even next week if these numbers change. Yeah. Because my guess is people are starting to be affected. You know, the, the virus is actually hitting facilities or it's hitting family members or it's making people more afraid. And we may be getting to the point where in the next couple of weeks as this goes on, we may start to solve some of our PPE problems, I hope. Yeah. Um, but then we have problems with uh, our, our labor. And so um, you know, this is not only the right, the right form to plug what we do, but we, we can help fill that. But we need to start as an industry, start planning on different contingency plans of how do we get extra labor. And frankly, the other thing we need to do is, is petition our state governments um, to figure out how we can bring people in that, you know, that can care for people, but may not, you know, maybe you, your state has a very esoteric, very rigid, stringent um, credentialing process. Um 
if we can petition our, our state governments to relax that. For instance, you know, the two states that are being hit the most with coronavirus, California and New York, what are the two of the states that has the most stringent and rigorous um, uh, onboarding processes and, and credentialing processes? California and New York. So again, I'm not saying their policies are bad by any stretch of the imagination. They're very well-intentioned and they're, they're probably very good, but there are a lot of people that could perform care duties and they could somehow frankly standardize across the nation. We might actually be able to bring more people into the workforce. Well, yeah. I, and I think that's what, that's a good point you bring up, Charles, is it's a standardization is that, you know, state to state is so different. Right. That it is a challenge because if you're willing to, you know, that's are willing to fly from or drive from here, maybe to, to California to help out. If you're a nurse or a CNA, you really have to deal with the rigors of, of the credentialing. So I think that's a very well, interesting point. You, you know, it's you know, think about uh, Portland, Oregon, right? So Portland sits right there on the border of, of, of Oregon and Washington state. If I want to go work in Vancouver, we're going to right across the river. That's a, they have a very different, different process. Good right. Point. And so if we said, you know, if everybody has a sort of a, there's some form of baseline or at least say, you know what, like skilled nursing, generally speaking, in any state, if you're a CNA or you're an LPN or LVN, you can kind of go anywhere. But with assisted living, it doesn't work that way. It's it's everything's all over the board. So, okay, what if we standardize and say, okay, you have that, but maybe if you already have this credential, you automatically bypass that. It will ramp up the need for credentialing in the long run, but it at least take those people that are credentialed and make them, you know, okay, there's a big hotspot in whatever, Boise, Idaho. Right. You know, people who want to work in Boise, Idaho can go, just like a traveling nurse does as an RN, you could do that as a CNA. Great idea. I think that's... That's really important to look at, to look outside the box here. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great learning. We've been talking in every one of these episodes about what can we be learning as an industry or as a nation or as a world that can that we will improve on over time as we get through this, because these are the things that are triggering us to be thinking differently and really starting to fix the issues that we maybe knew existed, but they weren't urgent. They weren't as important to fix as they are right now. So it, yeah, it, that's, right. A, that's a good one to, to be talking did you, about. Did you ask him, did, was there any fear about bringing the virus home? Because we, you know, that's been a consistent theme of, of bringing possibly the exposure to their family or their kids. Did that come up at all? No, you know, we didn't ask, we didn't ask that question. I, I, I'm sure that fear is out there. I, I will say, I will say this, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily answer that question, but what, what was really interesting to me is even sort of that frontline, uh, that frontline CNA, um, how generally educated they are on what is going on with, you know, say CDC recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so We've had, um, you know, we're in a, a bunch of different buildings and we have one of the things that we do is we collect everybody's um, infection control processes and we load them on our system. So before you go work in that, uh, that building, you have to read this thing and acknowledge it. And so, uh, so at least when they go there, they know what that particular um, community's policy is. And, and the, the, the amazing thing that we found is when we ask them, it, you know, it ranges anywhere between like a little cartoon one page or like, here's how you wash your hands to we literally in one case, there's a 700 page infection control policy. It was crazy. Huh. I think there's a, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing was we've had a certain, a few, not a lot, a few communities that have, you know, we looked at, they have good infection control processes, 
But our heroes, the ones that work on our platform, they've gone and they've told us, they're like, we're not working there anymore. And frankly, their own staff's not working there anymore because they're letting anybody in the building. There's no controls. The family members are coming and going. You know, the, the staff is quitting and, and, and there's just they're not enforcing the policies that they have. And so that word, you know, can get out. And unfortunately, it can create bad rumors like, oh, they have the coronavirus. Like they don't have the coronavirus. Right? Uh, but those things start to, to snowball a lot. Mm-hmm. And so. If I'm a caregiver, you know, to answer your question, I don't want to go in there and possibly get affected and then and then come back and bring it to my family. Right. Yeah. That's a big I mean, that's a big concern. Rightfully so. Right. Is that I think as facilities and residences or whatever you want to term, it's their job to give the framework. Right. To give the structure and allow the, the team to be successful within that infection control protocol. Yeah. And I think I if everybody follows that, we give ourselves the best chance to mitigate the possible exposure, but also protect the staff so we have direct care direct care staff to fill those shifts. And with that, I think it's a good segue. What are the challenges you're seeing around, you know, staffing and call-offs? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, as it pertains to the coronavirus with, um, well, let's all say this. I mean, all, the way our, pl- our platform works, let's, let's talk about our, our, our customers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we are seeing a lot of last minute uh, shifts being posted. It, it's in, in a way, it's it's almost like like Thanksgiving and Christmas. So on our platform, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're gonna like a lot of last minute calls or sort of like, we need someone and we're gonna, with us, you can like, you, our, our customers set their rates. We don't set the rates, um, but they can also offer to pay a bonus if they need someone quickly. And so we've seen some bonuses. They feel like it's almost like Christmas and or you know, New Year's or Thanksgiving where hmm. big bonuses will pop up, especially on the sniff side, but also on the AL side. But they've gone in the last week to 10 days. They've really, I think, gone up quite a bit. Um, and so that tells me, obviously, they're having a, a lot more call-offs for them. Now, we're able to fill them, but it is causing a lot more more calls. So, you know, why that's happening, how it's related. To, my, 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 this is speculation at this point. It goes back to that that last slide I showed you, where that sort of marginal twenty percent ish are, you know, their kids are at home. And we, we had a few things as well. We've had people cancel shifts because, gosh, I thought I had a babysitter. My kid can't go to school, and I've got to take care of my child. We're we're seeing that on our, and we have some contingencies for that, but. Um, but we, we do see that we're seeing that a little bit more than normal. Um, I'm we, we this week was definitely more than last week. I'm willing to bet the next week is going to be even more than this week. Well, you know, what I'm concerned with, too, is that a lot of times when those car issues happen or things like that, we're able to use Ubers, Lyfts, some other, you know, ride share, which I know ride share is also being kind of restricted, possibly depending on where you are, which could be an impact, I think, to get people to their shifts as well, too. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think we have, it's really interesting, uh, we'll go through all the dynamics of it, but I I think one of the things that I would encourage operators to do is to, to really, you know, look at like Uber Enterprise, I think Lyft has an enterprise product as well. Um, I, I know, you know, I, I'm in Houston, so we lived through Hurricane Harvey, and we became the masters of using um, uh, you know, Uber Enterprise and, and Lyft Enterprise uh, functions. So what, what that means is instead of, you know, my 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 employee picking up an Uber coming, um, we can actually schedule it and tell them where to pick up at a specific point in time for them and we pay for it. Um, and I would encourage that we, you know, we have some of our people, 
you know, cars break down, flat tires, you know, kids break a leg or whatever. It happens all the time um, where we encourage them to, uh, you know, to take an Uber, take a Lyft. And they're like, well, I can't afford to do that. Now, we're a marketplace. These are our employees. So it's a different dynamic. But we say, like, you know, you should you know, look at taking an Uber. Even if it's going to cost you something. It's better than, you know, losing all your income and losing any future shifts that you may have if someone can't rely on you. So it's, uh, you know. Depending on where you are, I, I think having a having that relationship, understanding working with those platforms at an enterprise level is again, it's another it's another area in your quiver where if you need it and someone can't come in and you really need someone and to provide a ride, it's uh, it's probably well worth it to take care of your residents. I think a couple things there. I did not know about the enterprise options for Uber and Lyft, so I I think that that's really interesting for us to share with our audience. Thank you. And I can talk firsthand. We've used it a lot for a lot of our shifts. Yeah. Um, and Lyft, um, because especially in the winter, someone says their car is not starting, things like that. It's it's it helps us get them to their shift very effectively. Yeah. I, I, I learned it the hard way during Hurricane Harvey. I mean, yeah. I, I was the CEO of our operating company. We had, I don't know, 700 employees or something all over Texas. And I was the one waking up. You know, we take shift to schedule an Uber to go to somebody's house. And finally, someone told us like, Uber for Enterprise, you can schedule it ahead of time at their place. We're like, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. We learned the hard way. Yeah. Charles, you're the fifth person I've spoken to in the last two days that lived through Hurricane Harvey and has had had to experience the rebuilding after that. And I started thinking this morning that what are the things we can be learning from what you all lived through and other places that have had natural disasters recently that they had to rebuild their city, recover from this, businesses didn't all recover from it. What are some of the things that come to mind for you that we can learn from that? That yeah, we you know, I, I, you have to kind of separate out the, the physical destruction part of it that obviously we're not, we're not facing now, but um, where we, um, but at the same point in time, it is, you know, looking at trying to find PPE, trying to, uh, and, and trying to make sure you have your staff appropriately. Some ways very, very similar. Now, obviously this is at a, at a, you know, a thousand times X more than a specific hurricane, because this is a national or international problem. Um, but trying to find, you know, trying to find masks, like we did the same thing in the hurricane. So, uh, I, I can't say there's a lesson learned, you know, obviously in the future, you know, yeah, great. In the future, if there's a pandemic, we need to have a big box of masks, but that doesn't <laughs> help us right now. Um, but the other thing we, we learned is, you know, we had our buildings, the ones in Houston were fine, uh, physical, but our, our employees were not. And so we have people that were literally working around the clock for three or four days. And we actually would fly people into San Antonio and drive them in and down I-10. There's was one interstate that was open for about four or five days. Only way to get anything in and out. So we actually flew people from all of our buildings to San Antonio and then drove them in. Now, obviously, that doesn't make any sense in this in this environment. But uh, you know, if I had to do it all over again, knowing what I know, I, it, it's a lot of what we're talking about now is your staffing contingency and and not to put too fine a point. Half of the inspiration of care of what we built is was built around Hurricane Harvey. Of gosh, if there was a marketplace where I could just post a shift and someone who's qualified could come in and work it, I can relieve. You know, Jeannie, who's been working for three days straight, 24 hours straight on her feet, and she's exhausted. She's missional. She's going to do it. But she's she's about to fall over. Um, if I had that tool at that time, I'm like, that's the greatest thing ever. So because everybody can kind of pull their own resources together 
and not competing against each other. Right? The same thing that happened, you know, what's happening right now on the PPE front is you have different trade organizations that are trying to fight for the same PPE as well as the states, as well as Medicare, as well as the, uh, the country. Now they're starting to come together, but it's it's they're competing with each other and it's forcing prices up and distribution problems. Well, if we all came together, right, and, and had one giant way of doing it, it's the same thing on labor. If we had one marketplace where we could all go to for supplemental labor, you know, so really, uh, it's, it, we're, we're all in a better position. Really care with a K is a little bit born out of your experience from Hurricane yeah, Harvey. That's amazing. Uh, well, we keep talking about necessity as the mother of invention. And that, that's not a new phrase. Um, and it's really showing itself right now. It's wonderful. So, Charles, tell us a little bit about uh, communication best practices. Yeah, I, and I, I think I touched on that a little bit uh, um, when I said about some of these communities. You know, uh, it, policies and procedures are great. We have to have them. We have to stay compliant. But um, it also ties a lot with uh, what we learn in the hurricane situations where you can't communicate enough. Uh, and I'm sure most companies now have, you know, communication platforms. We were with all family members. We were we were sending out emails, I think, four times a day. And I think we were having call-ins kind of morning and at night, just updating everything, just to keep people people's minds at ease. Now that's great for the family members, but from the employment, for the employee side, um, if you have a vacuum of information, we, we have seen this for, firsthand, we see this, we're seeing this right now uh, in a lot of our, our, our some, some of our customers, not a lot of them, just a small handful. If you have a vacuum of information, uh, rumors run rampant. So you have to get ahead of the communication in all forms, you know, our labor, most of our labor pool we're finding um this is anecdotal but we've done this a jillion times i'd say at best half of them respond to email um 25 percent of them will respond to a phone call 75 percent will respond to a text and so did you say, say 75 percent to a text is that what you said respond to a text or or at least acknowledge that they read it okay so you know text-based platforms for communicating everything or even if you communicate something that links back to a bigger you know a bigger uh, com uh, uh, communication is we're finding that has, has really worked well for us just in our normal processes but even now as we're pumping out you know we are we're kind of updating our process and policies to be compliant um, with our customers as well as our best practice for our, our heroes um, we're finding that we send them an email and newsletter, it hardly ever gets read. But if we send them a text that has a link to it or a link to a video, a brief video, videos actually work really well if they're brief. Um, and they'll, we have, we have a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, engagement on video or tech, you know, video as a result of text. Well, how, when you mean brief, just for our audience, what, what do you, is it like 30 second, 45 second clip or? You know, we did a uh, we did a, a minute and a half, maybe two okay. minutes okay. Um, uh, thing uh, the other day. Just uh, we really wanted to um, update everybody. Like we really wanted people to know what was going on with us and how we're trying to keep everybody else safe. And so we did a, a blast to everybody on our platform. We either either in the application process or already onboarded. So a couple thousand people. And uh, we said, you know, letter from, you know, message, very important message from CEO, please watch this quick, quick video. And then we linked to the video we put on YouTube and it was a minute and a half. And, you know, we could see our, our engagement was, was pretty high, like frankly, way higher than I expected. Oh. Um, it was short, you know, 90 seconds or so. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah that's, that's, that's a great tip though. Um, yeah. That's a really great tip. 
Because right. I think that's one thing that a lot of people struggle is they might communicate really well with the resident or the family, and they forget about that importance of that team member that's on the floor, that's on the front line to right. share that same information. Because the more we communicate, the the better off we're going to be, and you're going to stop those rumor mills or these ideas right. that, oh, they don't know what they're doing, or they didn't tell us that. That can't be true. Well, well, you know, there are a bunch of tools that are like, they're, they're, they're cheap. They're maybe, I don't know if they're, they may be free uh, to a point or, you know, a, a very inexpensive and you use them for a, a small amount of time, like, you know, Grasshopper, Avocado, there's mm-hmm. a handful of them where if you can get everybody's phone numbers loaded, you maybe you pull it from your payroll system, everyone's right. cell phone numbers loaded on that platform. And you send out one blast message and they get it. And then you can put, you know, it'll hyperlink to something. It's a, it's a quick and dirty process. I mean, our system is very sophisticated. We, it's all embedded in ours, but you know, there's third-party apps that you can do that uh, fairly inexpensively and for a short period of time. Very cool. That's great. So Charles, um, one year from today, looking back at what we will have experienced in this coming next 12 months, what would you like to see the world look like? What would you like us all to learn? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I had a great conversation last night with a friend of mine about this, who's uh, kind of the front lines of helping, you know, um, kind of help the industry with a lot of the stuff. And it's like, okay, what, what does the world look like in the future? I, I think what we're going to probably realize that the idea that we are primarily a hospitality industry is going to be thrown out the window. Um, I think you're going to realize that it's going to, it's going to greatly accelerate how we align with the medical community, how we care for people from a infection control process, how we do things like, I think it's going to be, be I mean, there's certain things I'm excited about. I think that the rampant advent in tele, uh, telemedicine and telehealth yes. is going to be fascinating. The, the adoption of EHR things going to be fascinating. Um, you know, labor marketplaces for on-demand labor and just accepting this of knowing that we've got to, you know, first and foremost, we need to have someone who's qualified to work. Um, and and yes, we need to have the right culture, but we need to make sure we're caring for people. We have to meet those base level requirements. I think that I mean I think you're you're gonna see that over time. And I think the the operators that really adopt, you know, whatever electronic medium of communication, you know, Zoom calls or things like that, I I I actually think it's gonna fundamentally change the role of like a regional director of operations where you're not going to have the, Hey, so how many leads you got today? Hey, how are your residents? How's your food? Great. Click. It's going to be, what are my measures and metrics and how do I know I'm being effective or not? Because we're, we're going to force this level of remote measure. We have, we have no choice. We can't be on one site. We have to put it sort of remote measurement and that's got to be aggregated in some sort of way. And, uh, you know, we actually have a tool, not a care, but we actually created a tool that does that. I'm going to try to push it. But but we we built that a couple of years ago, knowing this kind of world is coming. I just think it's gonna, it's coming faster than we think. It's This is going to force us to do it. And I agree with that. I'm really excited to, you know, playing off that a little bit is the idea that we can do things more remotely, even for resident engagement. You know, we're doing a lot of things. We're streaming our, our music therapy, our art therapists. We're doing some engagement cross with webcams and stuff where we can see them and they can now see us to improve engagement through through activities that you maybe could now get a professional person from New York to do something for a resident in California. I mean, I'm really right. excited to see how we can improve the engagement and the experience for those that are, are in the different residences. Well, I, and I think, you know, I, as I've invested and advised 
different technology startups, one of the things I've never loved is when you put a form factor in front of a senior that they're not used to using, generally speaking, like, you know, if they're not used to using an iPad or they're not used to interacting with their TV in a different way, it's just, a, it, I think the hurdle rate's higher. But what's going to happen now is guess what? You know, how many calls, I, I just look at the social media of the buildings that I'm involved with. There's calls like, we need more iPads. We need more cell phones or whatever. And so, you know, things like, again, the, the Serenity app, it's, I, I mean, it's going to be where I would have said three months ago, yeah, maybe now it's like, you know, the, the physical adoption of a, of a new form factor for an 84 year old, you know, woman living in a assisted facility, that's not going to be foreign to them. So I think it's going to greatly adopt all those resident engagement technologies that have relied on a form factor that were frankly designed for a younger generation. I think it's, it's kind of exciting in a way Let's yeah. get past this stuff, but I think it's going to, the adoption is going to be, be really, really interesting. Yeah. And we talked about this uh, when we were at the senior living transformation permit, the, 60% of the CEOs of the care communities will be turning over in the next five years. I actually have a hypothesis that that, that COVID-19 will accelerate that, not yeah. for any reason other than, boy, okay, I think I'm ready to retire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to indicate that anyone's going to die off here. There's a great ED in Houston, probably one of the best in Houston, who she was fantastic. She, uh, her building flooded in a Hurricane Harvey. It's a Mary Caroline building, flooded in a Hurricane Harvey. And just the, the stories were amazing for another day. But she literally came out. She's like, you know what? I'm just going into independent living. I am not doing this. <laughs> Done, right? Let me just move in. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to do uh, an independent living now. Yeah. 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 And I think with that turnover, we will see a lot more exciting, new, interesting things in terms of how technology can be used to improve quality of life. Uh, I was talking with one of my customers yesterday and, and he said, I got on a Skype session with my mom who has dementia and she didn't understand why I was in the TV and she wanted to know why I couldn't get out of the TV and um, hug her. And, you know, I think that those are things that it's so new, they've never had to deal with that. No. And, and so what a great opportunity if we look at it that way to teach people some new things and also to learn from people who've been through things like this. Our older adults have lived through a lot of really hard times that we haven't had to at our age. And um, so we should learn from them as well. So, oh, Myra, you're wonderful. Myra Pacheco from Bronx, New York yeah, City. She said yeah. hello. She's saying, hang in there and bless you all. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing. That's wonderful. Thank you, Myra. We appreciate you and everybody else who's out there. So, um, Charles, this has been wonderful. We appreciate talking to you. And if people want to learn more about care, how can they find you? Um, it's easy. You can go to uh, doyoucare.com. Again, that is care with AK. That's probably the easiest way. Our contact information uh, is on there. You can go uh, you know, our, our LinkedIn sites, uh, we're kind of all over the social media stuff. Um, that's probably the easiest way to just go to our, our website. And, and then do, uh, real quick, do you have updates as to where you're targeting next, you know, for where care is going to be released or or is that kind of more of an internal discussion? It's still internal. We have some final, final so understand, you know, our, care is very much an industry driven initiative. So it's not just, just us, right? We have a lot of the major operators uh, have invested in us. Um, uh, real estate funds, large real estate funds, uh, oh, the senior housing funds have invested in us. You know, Bob Kramer is founder of Nick, who's an investor in us. And so 
the reason we did it that way, uh, it was actually led by them. They, they want, these guys wanted to come together and do it is really to create, okay, let's, we're, we just are now launching in, in Dallas, San Antonio, and then Atlanta, as well as these tertiary markets as well. Um, and so give us, you know, give us a month or so to let that kind of play out. Then we'll get back together. Okay. Where do we go next? We have, we have some, we have some finalists we won't uh, reveal quite yet, okay. but, um, you know, there's, I think there are probably six cities. We'll pick three. Oh, cool. um, okay. and, and then, but then, you know, we'll, it'll, it'll, we'll keep growing. Awesome. Love the way you're revolutionizing this. It's really important. Yeah. Oh, thanks. yeah it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you so much for taking some time on a Friday. We're glad you're able to share this. this is a hope helpful information for people to really understand and talk more with their care teams and their you know and their teams and understand that we can't we need to take care of our residents but also our team members as well too and, and understand their concerns and their maybe fears or apprehensions. So I really yeah. think the work you're the research you're doing and trying to better understand our frontline work is going to help the industry just continue to improve. So thank you. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me too. You bet. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys.